Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film, Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. I'm Pete Wright, and Andy, I've never seen your energy so angry before. <laughs> Today, we are talking about Minute 20, which begins with dancing cosmic energy and ends with Queen Victoria and her accent. Joining us, sadly, for the last time this season, it's Will Johnson and Don Shanahan from the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast. Hello again, Thanks Jets. for having us. We are thrilled to have you for this uh, this energy-filled minute, starting off with this dancing blue energy in the... What What the heck is going on with this crazy cube? Not sure. Not sure at all, you know? It's the, is it the throes of Norris Passion? Is that what we're hearing? <laughs> I like that. I like Norris. that. No, no prize for you. shirt reveals itself. <laughs> oh. oh, you're recording the in-betweens where these could be your bonus content. Like, you should hear what we said before the mics came live. <laughs> yeah, let's just say yeah. there well, are we places a- we've gone that we have never gone before and likely mm. will never will again. We have a raw recording of all this, so if you really want it. <laughs> yeah. So. Just just reach out, send us a, send us some money, and uh, you just might find the file in your email inbox. Uh, All right, so so this is uh, I don't know what the heck this thing is doing, but I love the idea. It's it's it's, it's throws of Norse passion <laughs> locked into the tesseract, and it's powering this little. It, it seems to have all landed in this little kind of blue uh, box that they have on the desk, and it's clearly thrilling um arnim and uh schmidt as they as they look at this thing and i love that we actually get we actually get schmidt calling him out by name arnim i must congratulate you arnim what a name arnim i i it's a it's not a name i've heard before but i i do love that uh it is a name are any of you familiar with the name arnim just the who's the guy from uh deep in armin mueller stall is that the only other armin i know in my That's, life isn't that armin that's armin, armin. this is like- m like Armin Shimmerman from Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Or so Nim. wait, with this one's Arnim. Arnim. Yeah. And it sounds like seventy third Street, seventy third Avenue. We're just <laughs> typo just... in the script that never went away. You know. I. It's actually interesting that it's a that it's a first name uh, that it's a in given the, name. Right. It, it is normally a German surname, often preceded by the nobility particle von. Oh. So yeah. you are of von Arnim, like. Arm, Arnulf von Arnim, nineteen forty-seven. Okay, uh, German classical pianist and teacher. Hmm. Uh, isn't that funny? Again. Especially um, that he's because uh, I believe he's from Switzerland too. He's not even. Yeah, German. he makes a, so, yeah. a point of that later when I think I think it's Tom Lee Jones, right? Says so something about being German. He's like, no, no, scene, right? No, it was uh, in Winter. It's in Winter Soldier when um, she says, "What is it, some kind of German thing?" And he's like, "I'm actually Swiss," or yeah. something like that. So right, right. I, well, that explains it. That's yeah. it is. Know yeah. that it yeah. was a last name. Not <laughs> his yeah. parents. It's a beautiful name. Let's let's use it for our, our son. Yeah. yeah. And now Boy, he's that. gone through that the whole his whole life. No, that's my first name. You fool. That's why he's a mad scientist. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'll get my oh, name right. right. Yeah. Embroider that in a bit while you're at it. Huh? <laughs> Babies are adorable. <laughs> oh, what's his name? Arnim. Oh, oh. <laughs> that's my well, favorite. Last, I the last name that's... doesn't help. Zola. Like, I mean, it's yeah. all yeah. the whole thing screams this person was born to be a mad scientist. I mean, yeah, that's do exactly. Any, do we have any Frasier fans out there? Frasier the show fans? Yes. Okay, so one of my favorite jokes. Jump right up. <laughs> one of my favorite jokes from Marty, the father, 
was Niles was talking about Maris, who we never see and only hear crazy stories about. And he says something like, oh, Maris is taking her German lessons. And he's like, just when I thought she couldn't get any cuddlier. Because, you know, German is such a like, uh, it's such a soft, beautiful language, isn't it? I mean, it's just, you oh, know. boy. <laughs> well, I've been I've been this week. I've been hitting the accents hard and I, I love what Weaving does to it because we know he's Australian and, and yeah. he just he finds a way to just kind of hit highs hit lows and then growl it when he needs to at the end of it like he finishes those sentences with just such yeah. zest it, and it's, it's not, masterful work from and me. it's not caricature it's, no not at all it's it's, it's natural it are you two agreed are you two fans of hugo weaving uh-huh. I, I mean i don't have a poster on my wall and a tattoo on my leg but yeah you know <laughs> yeah well I, this is in contrast to the now? I don't know. Oh, is there, that the other tattoo? No. Yo. Well, and I actually have a question about tattoos too, because I got to admit, like, and I, I'm a big collector of stuff, and I like tattoos of Marvel stuff. Hmm. But like, you can't get a Hydra thing, right? Like that just wouldn't that be crossing a line? Like, like, it like might Homeland Security is going to be like, wait a second. They're going to be like, well, wait a minute, isn't that Nazi adjacent? And I've it's already a got Nazi a bald adjacent. head, so like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like, I guess that depends. Where I would it? call is that like Nazi on your adjacent. neck? Or... Oh, forehead. forehead. What, is he Puerto Rican? <laughs> Give it a little <laughs> smiley face, maybe. Yeah, that might that's help. True. You know, a smiling <laughs> hydra. A smiling hydra. Then you could put it on your B fifty two. Also, and, right? Another <laughs> smiling hydra. I will admit it's a cool design, and I and I've seen, I've, I've seen stuff at like my local collector's marketplace where I buy toys and statues and stuff, and there will be like mugs of it or like a poster of it or something. Yeah. Like, That's cool, but if I fly that, around, right? Like, like drink oh, coffee, no problem. Yeah, but I don't know. You know what I mean? It's kind of like wear it, wear it in bedtime, bedroom time. Maybe yeah, not you're, so much. You know? you're putting your because uh... what girl is gonna be like? Oh, oh, hell, hide from here. It's all but, how you but, say it. But you got to You got to remember. Your accent it is. Yeah, you cut you cut one head off. I mean, you get to a point where it's like you know. I don't know Andy, if we Andy, Andy, this road. We only have one to said, cut off. Okay, bedroom time. Okay, Lorena, Andy. knock it off. It's, Lorena, oh my God! We, we go to dark yeah. places on this show. This this is Ow. what happens. This is what happens when we get on the show. I'll, I'll, <laughs> yeah. But uh, I did see, I did read that um, Weaving's um, inspirations were Werner Herzog, duh, and then uh, Austrian actor Claus Maria Brandauer from out of Africa. So he went yeah. to good places to blend a little something together. And a good, and I, I'm going to compare him to another Marvel villain here in terms of professionalism. Um. There's Hugo Weaving and there's Christopher Eccleston, who's in mm. Dark World. Mm-hmm. Both actors are on record of saying they hated yeah. being in these movies. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the difference is, is that Hugo Weaving, consummate actor, you would never tell. Whereas Christopher Eccleston, you can tell once he was in the makeup, he was just like, I'm a dark elf, I guess. I, yeah, yeah. Whatever. Well, uh, do you blame that on him or do you blame it on the fact that they messed that character up? I mean, I, you know, Malekith is a much different character in the comics and they just kind of made him this mopey bore of a character in that. But I think a good actor could squeeze material in great ways. I, 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 if you're a good enough actor, you can, you can spin some gold onto some straw. Absolutely. Absolutely. You certainly can for sure. I, and I think it's, it is a commitment thing too. We've seen plenty of, plenty of movies where actors are not committed to the role and you can tell. And that's this one that you would have no idea that Hugo evening is miserable the whole time. He's, Mm -hmm selling this movie like he he's one of the best 
parts of this movie uh, altogether. And I would I would say that he is such a um, how many people I know Don did, but did Andy and P? Did you see the new Matrix that yep. came out? Matrix yep. Resurrection. Oh yep. yeah. In terms of like my own, like when I watch a film, especially like let's talk about Marvel, like I make the transition from Terrence Howard to Don Cheadle in my head, the suspension of disbelief. I understand they're the same character, but like, but maybe not as essential of a character as Hugo Weaving was in the matrix to the point where they have someone play his character. And instead of just like killing him off off screen, like Lawrence Fishburne, so they don't have to use him. Like the, the void left without his presence, Mm -hmm. someone else playing that character. That's how instrumental he is as an actor in irreplaceable. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, that that actually, as much as I tried in Matrix Resurrections to make that suspension of disbelief, where I'm like, okay, it's it's Hugo Weaving's character, it's Agent Smith, it's just a different face or whatever. I couldn't get past it. It totally ruined that part of the movie for me because I just wanted Hugo. Weaving. And and what what does the Matrix people do to piss Hugo Weaving off? Because <laughs> Hugo Weaving hated being in this movie, but he still let them use his face in Winter Soldier for a couple scenes. So it's like, why can't they just use his face in whatever? It's, it's this thing. But that's Warner. It's a it's Come a on. tale. It's a tale to his his professionalism, his ability to I mean, just the fact that he said he researched the character. Like, if you don't even like being in a movie, like, why bother? But he's just like, and this is another reason why I loved Bale in the new Thor movie, because he was like, oh, I was doing Nosferatu and Aphex twin videos. And like, they put, actually put something into this and you can feel that just like you can feel an actor not giving you something. Every moment with Hugo Weaving in this movie, you feel, you know, right what, on. What on. Does so. it bother you that it's not him in, in Endgame? Or are you okay with the way that that played out, the Red Skull character? You can hide recasting in a moment like that. Yeah, that that one's because it's because it's makeup, and they got a um, a voice mimic artist. Because yeah. it's also that's uh, Whitmer for you, yeah. Because uh, also the same thing happened in Doctor Strange too. Um, instead of having James Spader do the Ultron voice, they had a mimic artist. Yeah. Am I disappointed? Yes, because. Those scenes in those two movies are probably the most, um, I'm not going to say out there, but they rely the most on you suspending disbelief because it's more like an idea of how you get that Infinity Stone. Yeah, it's more of a yeah. philosophical kind of thing than, mm-hmm. than like getting it from you know, a Just, Tesseract or right, a thing. Yeah. So to have someone of his gravitas kind of explain it, I think it would have hit, like, I do love like, the moments with Red Skull in those movies where he's like, oh, um, you know, Scarlet Witch, son of Ivan, or not Scarlet Witch, sorry, uh, Scarlet Johansson, uh, Black yeah, Widow, you Black know, son Widow. of Ivan, and she's like, I don't even know who my dad was, you know, like, yeah. like those were good, but I bet with the gravitas of that, mm. with his performance, it would have been so much more powerful, you know, stuff like that, so that's yeah. my name. Yeah, no, it's interesting. It's, uh, <clears throat> I mean, we're, we've, at this point, you know, we're only five films in. We haven't had that many replacements at this point. Um, but it certainly will be something that's worth talking about as we go. Uh, I love Hugo Weaving. I love what he is doing with this character. I think that he's yeah. just fantastic as Red Skull. And I love the way that they kind of did that whole thing with, uh, you know, right now he's got this mask on and it's it's very fun. And I, we haven't talked about that, but there are a couple moments throughout these minutes where you actually see him like kind of grabbing at his mm-hmm. jaw, just kind of it's almost like he's constantly there are these very subtle things that he's latched onto as an actor to say, I am going to be adjusting my mask. And yeah. it's they're so subtle. It's great, though. 
I saw yeah. a good comp in a, in another movie where um I'm going to be the Will Johnson at this moment here. Weird movie parallels. So Jack Nicholson, <laughs> something's got to give, right? So there's this scene where um he shares a bed with D- uh, Diane Keaton. They're not making love yet, but uh he's like he was told it was in the commentary where he's like you know moving pictures move. He's like I know I'm supposed to stand and hit this mark here and enter the room and think about where i'm supposed to go but i just keep moving and he's like when he gets into bed and he gets under the covers he's like there's a very plain moment where he says oh just get in bed get in the covers he's like but he has this character like leave one leg out for whatever reason of like nut ventilation who knows what um but 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 nicholson explains it like he's like moving pictures move he's like if you got it you just can't be still you got to show a little something extra. So weaving does that with just, like you said, just checking some masks, readjusting the makeup, you know, um, even just a little, a little job rotation is so subtle and so perfect. It's business. It's the business, right? Actors are always looking for what's the business that I'm doing during the scene. Yeah, well, yeah. Even in uh, the opening scene in Tonsberg or whatever, like there's a couple of shots from the side where you can see the separation, mm-hmm. like where his mask is and where his skull is. And it's like, once you know that, once you notice that it's like that appreciation to detail, mm-hmm. not only from the actor, but from the production. Yeah. Uh, they're committed to like showing, you know, like showing this character as is it's, it's, pretty cool i I just i think it's 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 a testament to the creative powers that a lot of people um disparage because of the type of film it is yeah because i think other villains in other places overact and be like hey look oh my gosh that's so nagging me so much you know they would would just oversell it every chance they get or overdo an accent or yeah but weaving just just finds a through line middle and nails it yeah, he's great here. And this is, uh, you know, we have this energy here. And now this is this great moment between the two of them where they're seeing all of this work that they've been doing since they got the Tesseract, all the stuff that they've been building to uh, getting to a place where they're going to be able to do some stuff. And I think it's a, it's pretty interesting, you know, and this is where you have that moment. We were asking Pete, you asked the question a minute or two ago about like, is, is Zola the sort of doctor that is in it for like the reasons like, is he going to be the mad doctor or could he have been the Erskine? And right here, I think this is clearly what his motivations are. This energy we've just collected, it could power my designs, all my designs. This will change the war. It's like his eyes have just grown so big because of what he's able to do now. I think that if there was a sign of good with him, I think it's gone out the door because now he sees what he's able to do. And of course, we have uh, 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 Schmidt who has much bigger visions about this actually changing the world. Uh, what do you think of the, the kind of this exchange here and, and kind of like the end of the scene that we have? Well, I wanted to expand on what you just said, though, because, um, you know, we, we often talk about Kurosawa, right? And we talk about the Rashomon effect. Uh, that's like a trope that a lot of movies use. To me, one of the most powerful tropes that, I don't know if he created it, but he fostered it, as Kurosawa did, is if anyone sees Stray Dog. Has anyone seen Stray Dog by Kurosawa? Fantastic, yeah. That's that's one of my, probably my favorite Kurosawa film because what I like about it is, is you have two characters that are on the same path and circumstance happens to them and one reacts one way and goes one direction, one reacts the other way. And you can see the parallels of like, if this person made this decision, he would go that way. If this person made that decision, he would go that way. And I think that's a, you know, I, I see that a lot, especially in Marvel films. Like most recently with the new Thor one, it's the same thing between all the lost Thor has and all the lost Gore has where directions they go in. And this is the same thing. It's like, could he have been Erskine? Could Zola have been Erskine? 
Yes, but circumstances pushed him a different way. DC also did that in a comic that I love called Red Sun, which is what if Superman landed in mm-hmm. Soviet Russia instead of America? Like, Good book. what ass would they take? And so, yeah, it's I, I actually love that trope. I like to, it, it feeds my imagination. It lets me think of like, where would Zola be if he reacted a little bit differently to his position? And so I do see those parallels between those two characters and past not less traveled and yeah. stuff like that. So I just wanted to expand on that. I, I always, anytime I can mention stray dog, I, I <laughs> make sure I can do that. I, I'm doing Nicholson in a Nancy Myers romantic comedy. He's bringing in Kurosawa and stray dog. Yeah. Come yeah. on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Volleyball in the face. And, <laughs> <That's right>. uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> what was your question again, Andy? Sorry. No, it was just, it was just kind of about like, what, what were your thoughts about how, how this, uh, the, the, the mental place that these two are at this point, you know, we've got, you know, clearly the mad scientist, uh, Zola at this point really kind of, I mean, he's fully committed. Oh, if we thought there was any doubt in his mind, which I don't think we did, but like, this is really like he, his eyes are now big. He's the kid in the candy store. This can power my designs. And now this is really that moment where you have Schmidt, who's got his big, his big plans and everything is kind of being able to get set into motion from this point forward. So, well, and, do you think that obviously he has intentions because we find out a teeny bit in this movie and then it's expanded, of course, in the winter soldier that he's been doing experiments on prisoners, including Bucky. So I'm wondering like, does this, does this moment lead him to be like, Oh, I can try all kinds of different things. And this is the Tesseract gives me that power to do that. Or do you think maybe he's always been, hmm. you know, that makes me rethink excited. I didn't think about it until, right now when you find out that he was working on Bucky and I'm kind of thinking like, well, that seems pretty hardcore for someone who's maybe on the fence about this. And then is suddenly awakening to the power of the Tesseract. So I'm wondering if like that happens. Yeah. I mean, later because of this, or if he's always had that, I don't know. That whole chicken to the egg thing. What drives you down this path? I mean, if you, I guess if you play the history, if you take that Sicilian's book and you tumble the pages forward and like Zola gets this far in this movie, lose the war, you know, um, cold war is crap for a guy like that. Being part of the villain probably has to hide out, probably has to do a lot of crazy things to stay on edge or advance the science, but with a loser's attitude. And then you bring all that cold war stuff up to now, what would he still do? And you know, being as bent as he was being a loser, you know, uh, at the end of this movie in the war. I don't know. I, that's a good question. Because he was taken by the U S to continue his experiments, obviously. Yeah. Because, um, you know, but he, has, but like having to work for, you know, work for your villain, work for, yeah, your, work for like, your, I wonder if yeah. that would sour him, you know, it's, uh, Pete, do you have any thoughts on any of this? I, as you're, I'm listening to you talk. I can't keep like uh, you, have said a couple of times like it's i think it's settled he's he is this guy but i think i just really believe he's an opportunist and i think if somebody like colson uh, and nick fury had come to him and said look we have lots of opportunity and we have needs and your motivation is not really a question for us it's can you fill this hole in our operation and if he gets to play with his toys in this crazy dark energy i have a feeling he would take it like i don't think i think he is uh sort of uh chaotic neutral right like he's in it for himself first and happens to find affinity with the bad guys first for circumstances and so that that's a 
it's a thing that makes him more interesting to me, right? Yeah, like, yeah. it's a thing that makes him a more compelling character. And honestly, like, when he's shoved into a computer, it's a little sad. Like, I, I feel like there is more room for someone like Toby Jones to play this character morally neutral in a way that's super interesting and never got the chance. So, yeah, but I also think, like, could you imagine a scientist of his caliber being like, I'm going to put my consciousness, oh, I can't do the accent, you have to do it, but I'm going <laughs> to put my consciousness into a freaking computer. Like how yeah. cool would that be? Like right. for, for someone like him to just be like zipping through the, you know, um, yeah. and what did, what if do with him? What if, um, Oh, good question. I, did they put him in an Ultron? I can't remember what they did with him. Oh, it's something with him. I remember. Gosh, I can't remember they, now. Yeah. He ended up taking over something and was like, I am now Ultron or whatever, you know, it's pretty. Because you can see how how he would be driven toward one way or the other with a shove. And that's what he gets is the shove. Right. And and even in this scene, not just a shove, but a little bit of massage shoulders like there's wonderful moment of shared success. that The two actors convey where it's not. Yay. But it's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Look at this. 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 It's, It's the. The, the gravity of the moment is not lost on either one of them, the chaotic neutral one and the chaotic evil one. Right. Because, but those are different celebrations. That's my contention. In each of their heads, they're celebrating a different thing. Totally. Yeah. That's that is, I think, what makes him. But the shove is there. You're right. The shove is there. He's such an interesting character. Um, we're we're kind of wrapping up this whole minute here, though. Mm-hmm. What I we kind of have this transition. They're very excited. Things are going to happen. We'll talk about them a lot more. We're switching gears, though. We're moving to Camp Lehigh. This is the practice field, and we're going to take a little jump. Before we do, any last thoughts about anything going on with Zola and Schmidt and their experiment from from anyone? Yes, I, my last thought is: Are there any women in this movie? Hmm. Bechtel effect. Maybe are we, we having that measure? We Maybe we should throw. Some, do you think we need a woman? Yeah, we should throw a woman in here. Well, yeah. let's see. We're going to go to the army. We're going to Camp Lehigh practice field. And uh, what's great about this transition that we have here is, you know, it, and this is something that I do find is um, Joe Johnston, like, does this really well. He sets up these shots, especially in this film, that play on what we have with our little Steve Rogers here. We've got, mm-hmm. uh, we're trucking uh, from right to left across just a whole row of soldiers who are all pretty tall. And then there's little Steve in the mix. And uh, you, we just kind of pass by. We don't even pay it. It's not even a focus. We're just really kind of moving past a row of soldiers. Yeah. And, uh, and then we're going to come to somebody. But before we do, any thoughts on the way that we come to this moment here? No, I mean, that's just thinking... Um... Like I said when I'm in the, when I'm in the story, I'm not thinking about the technical part because it's seamless. But just you know, now looking at it, you know, uh, maximizing this minute, yeah. you know, I'm just thinking like, man, the four times they had to do that, it's just for for such a thankless shot. Like you said, it's a nice touch, not even really necessary. Really, we already know, you know, where his, what his position is. So it's kind of cool that they spent that time to make something like that. It's a little artistic touch, which I think yeah. and it, it takes a lot of work because it would be four passes with the camera, mm-hmm. two different actors. So it's pretty, pretty neat. No, for me, it's um, seeing it the first time, a complete absorption. Like, don't even you don't even it's movie magic. You're, you're into it and it's well sold by this point in the movie. Now that I know how they made it, I oh, my gosh, I, I pour over like, oh, my gosh, how can, the Marvel, the Marvel's a silly word, especially what we're talking about, but the the, uh, the artistic prowess of what they put together to do it always just astounds me. It's awesome. 
they've, they've always, in general, they've always seemed to give the Captain America films a little extra because I think all three have been nominated for Oscars for visual effects, I think. That's a good question. Whereas, like, I think the only other ones are, like, Iron Man, Iron Man 2 and uh, Doctor Strange. But, like, consistently, whoever the Captain mm-hmm. America movies seem to get a little extra attention in that visual uh, category. Partially, I wonder if it's because the Captain America movies are less flamboyant, right? The things they do are like, here's visual effects that are going to humanize the frame for us right now. Yeah. And not just yeah, more. It's, Whereas it's, Guardians of the Galaxy, let's have a floating head in space that's a base yeah, for everything. Right. It's just yeah, all Captain, over the top. Captain yeah. America is, he's a universal character in that he can be everywhere. But the, yeah, his movies uh, see are almost more street level than... Yeah, mm-hmm. cosmic. You know, like they're they're big stakes and stuff. But yeah, I mean, Winter Soldier. There's a bunch of action set pieces, but there's really only one ginormous third act set piece. You know, with three helicarriers or whatever. It's it's yeah. mostly isolated, singular action. Civil War actually gets its huge set piece in the middle, yeah, right. you know, yeah. with the airport battle. <laughs> and so it's it's kind of a yeah, you, it is a little bit more down to earth, so to speak. Yeah, I love they, that you call it street level. You could almost just as easily see the weary Steve Rogers coming home from the war and landing in Hell's Kitchen, right? Like uh, that that feels like um like like he and Matt Murdock would have been buds across decades. Sure. <laughs> you you think? Well, mm, okay. No, I was just going to say like, I, I, I don't want to open that. that. I don't yeah, I don't, I don't want to open that anything. whole thing up. I regret, yeah. I regret even saying the no, word. No, 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 no. It wasn't a bad <laughs> thing. I your face and I was like, no, that was going to be a It's not a bad I thing. I just, yeah. I just don't think. I just don't think. <laughs> I'll bring back back in Saoirse Ronan. I'm sorry, guys. Wait no, for years. It's yours. We've been waiting. I just, <laughs> I just don't think uh, Cap would approve of Daredevil's vigilanteism. I agree. That's true. But he wasn't saying he was friends with Daredevil. He was saying he's friends with Matt Murdock. Yeah, that's true. Ah, thus conflict is born. <laughs> right. <laughs> the world of comics. All right. So we got to talk about what happens here at the end of this shot, because the camera, as we continue down the row, we uh, we uh, pan over to the left, revealing, of course, the voice that we've been hearing. And it is, of course, the lovely Haley Atwell. Here we are finally getting to meet uh, Agent Carter introduced in the franchise. Before we talk about her, we're going to do our little IMDb game. Ooh, oh, Haley Atwell. Okay. I know, okay. this might be a tricky one. I'm curious to I see uh, where you all go with this one. Okay, the four things she's known, this, period, no ch- no doubt. Yeah, I, this, I and, think, and Winter Soldier, right? Like She's not in it enough, is she? I'd say think, this in Endgame. I just think because she is so inextricably associated with Captain America. I'll say this in Endgame, and I'll throw in Cinderella? Cinderella? Cinderella. Yeah, I'll go the, the Kenneth Branagh was she? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, even even though she's in Endgame as much as she is in Winter Soldier, it's more of a you know popular movie, I guess. Yeah. So, My fourth would be Agent Carter. The show? Well, there, uh, there's no TV. There's no TV. Oh, it's all it's um, all films. Uh, just okay, so it's, movies from her. I would have gone. Um, oh man, what was uh, is it? Is it possible there could be a movie that's not out yet? No. Curious. Oh, okay. she's in Mission Impossible, right? She's in De- Oh, oh that would have been the one we. That's what I'm saying. I, I would have yeah, put that one up there because I know that IMDb puts stuff that's in post production and all that crap. Yeah. And Letterboxd is the they same they thing. list them, but those never end up in the known for of, okay. of, gotcha, of gotcha. actors. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, I'll go this one. I'll go this one. Endgame. Um, okay. Just because you're wearing the shirt, do you think she's in Multiverse of Madness? <gasps> 
that you could be the one on there. We, we we weren't supposed to bring that movie up, remember? Because, oh! uh, <laughs> I was told there there would be no multiverse of my <laughs> <laughs> That's a good fourth. I, I... Uh, okay, let's go with that. Let's go with that. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna call a shot. I'm gonna say we're totally screwed. I think we may have gotten one. That's my thing. <laughs> you, you got yeah. you got two. Captain America: The oh. First Avenger is the mm-hmm. first one. The second one, and I had forgotten she was in this. It's the Duchess, the uh, oh, Kira Knightley Ray okay. Fiennes film. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I she, forgot she was in that too. Yeah, wow. she's in that. Then Captain America: The Winter Soldier. So uh, good oh, job pulling okay. that one. Accidental pick. Accidental pick. Last but not least, this is always the surprise. Ant Man. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. She's in. Uh, she's in, the, she's in that yeah. even less than the yeah. other. <laughs> I would have gave it. I would have gave it to Cinderella. She's wonderful. Embarrassing she, as a Marvel Cinderella's fan. A great what, movie. what was she in in Ant Man? What did she? She's do? in the in the flashback oh, at the yeah, beginning. So very the very. very gave her a known for for the flashback. That's again. Peggy Carter same stands thing, out. Same people thing. love where people we, love uh, their Peggy Winter Soldier, and that's where we. Uh, I love that scene. Another very small universe building scene where you yeah. can see. I think you see the. Um, the uh, headquarters that's in Winter Soldier, right? Because it was at that point. It I was believe so. DC. And then you get you get uh, her and uh, Howard Stark by uh, played by what's his name from Mad Men, who's awesome, yep. um, John Slattery. John Slattery. John Slattery. Yeah. So a cool scene, you know, like it is a fun little that, scene. Yeah, that are like, oh, cool, a little universe. Just build. totally forgotten that was in Ant Man. Yeah. That's yeah. the problem. I well, that's because they. That's, the whole, that's the whole de-aged Michael Douglas. Yeah, that's the and I, Michael Douglas. I, I, it hasn't aged as well. But I remember at the time, the DH Michael Douglas was like, "Holy crap!" This it, yeah, it worked really well. It I stands thought, yeah. out. It, it, it good hits. Yeah, uh, she like, also horrible in Endgame. Horrible in Endgame. The the de-aging of uh, Michael Douglas and that was really bad. But anyway, I'm trying to remember <laughs> that. Um, they're all. She was also in Christopher Robin. She played uh, Evelyn Robin mm-hmm. in that. That's which, right. So, so okay. you know, okay. and blinded by the light. Uh, so she's you know she's definitely somebody who's yeah. keeping busy, but not as busy as some other people in the in the uh, in the uh, MCU. Um, what do you what do you two think about uh, Agent Carter? Do you like? Are you fans of the show? Are you fans of this character? I am. Season one is wonderful. Season two, when they go out to LA, it loses if the wheels fall off. But that see that first season of like the wake of the loss of Steve and this next level plot in New York and women in the workplace. I, I enjoy season one. Season two gets really dumb in a hurry. If I recall, <laughs> the end of season two had some crazy energy beam work. <laughs> Definitely did. That's where it loses me. <laughs> really yeah. level up the energy beam work. Yeah. <laughs> um, I haven't seen the show. I only saw, oh, the, I only saw the one shot that they did. Um, yeah, right. There is a one shot, which I figured that we've we've done one shots as hiatus episodes, and we kind of figured we'll save that for post Captain America. We'll talk about that one shot in the hiatus, but it certainly is worth talking about. It's kind of it really was the setup for the entire show. So, mm-hmm. uh, well, and here's a question because I think Hawkeye, the Hawkeye show, officially made Agents of Shield non-canon, right? Because Hawkeye's wife oh, ended up becoming yeah. a character from Agents of Shield. However. Hmm. Jarvis from the TV show is in Endgame. So does yeah. that make does that make uh, Agent Carter canon? That's a, well, that's yeah, I think it, so. Because yeah. the same yeah. Jarvis is in uh, Agent Carter. Agent yeah. Carter. I think yeah, if yeah, there yeah. is a show that that's is, it's, it's Agent saying. Carter would be the one that that does kind of fall into um, into canon because of, of Peggy Carter. Because we've already had, um, you know, Howard Stark in this film is Howard Stark. Dominic Cooper's in, in there, yeah, right? In yep. Agent Carter. Did well, Zola get a shot there too? Zola was, was there... Zola was in it. Yeah, he was. Yeah, Toby Jones uh, gets a spot there. Yeah, but I'm just saying, Agents of Shield had Coulson and had 
Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, had uh, the the monster from Thor. Sif was in it, but I think it's yep. been non-canonized now. And that's a bummer. Uh, and then the I guess it remains to be seen what they do with Daredevil because I know that um, uh, what do you call it uh, the Echo the Echo series yeah. that's coming out yeah. is going to yeah. have Charlie Cox and Vincent D'Onofrio. They will exactly. clean that up for the kids. There's well, I, I know my bet is non-canon. Yeah. But what I'm saying is like, like the only one I watched, the only one I watched of the Netflix shows was Jessica Jones, and they do a lot of mentioning of the Avengers in that one. But I don't think that's canon anymore either. But I, I, I don't, I don't think it's canon. But I mean, they are. It's one of those things. It's like it's canon if you want it to be. You know, I, right. I don't know. I guess that's kind of how I see so much of this stuff. I mean, all of, they kind of all mention like the TV shows mention the movies in reference and kind of passing like, oh, that thing that happened in Hell's Kitchen or you know whatever. They they kind of you know, dance around it. So I don't mm. know. I guess it's if you want it to be part of it. Or well, not. now we're at multiverse where they can just say it happened someplace. Yeah, else. exactly. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yep, yep. Remember when there were stakes? Oh, sorry. Oh, thank oh, you. I agree. I don't there mean to open is. another uh-huh. can of worms, but so many cans oh. of worms open on this, so many this cans uh, of worms. set of minutes. Uh, High five, our, Pete. <laughs> I am. I'm going to stay quiet. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't get a lot of Agent Carter here. Uh, no. Just, just really, it's just her introduction. She's uh, talking to this line of recruits. I, this, this is going to be a very. We're we're getting into a a difficult stretch of the film where we have so many extras who are just you know uncredited. I don't know who most of these people are. I always like calling out actors when I can, but I am not sure who who this group is. Unfortunately, it's just a lot of faces. Yeah. And uh, but still, it, regardless. Uh, they are here. They're ready to train. They have. Uh, they're ready to go fight Nazis, and uh, and Agent Carter is here to uh, to kind of supervise, as she says, all the operations for this division. And then, of course, somebody calls out her accent. Uh, you know, a fantastic little bit here um, with the the British accent versus kind of this American who I don't know. I don't know if he's a kind of a Brooklyn tough New Yorker sort of. What's with the accent, Queen Victoria? Ah, it's it's great. He's the Boston guy that Chris Evans was supposed to be. Maybe that's maybe it's Chris Evans. Maybe it's maybe it's a secret Chris Evans cameo with his actual accent. Mission Impossible Thief comes on. Do great. And that character who makes fun of it is, I think that's the person that Tommy Lee Jones wants to be. (laughs) It is, yeah. Yeah. Because I think at one point he says, "I don't remember his name," but he's like, "He's strong. He's this. He's that. He passed all the tests." Blah 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 blah. And that Barnes? Was, Is it Barnes? No, that's they wouldn't name. They wouldn't I don't think they named Barnes. Barnes. Yeah. Lucky Barnes. No, yeah, <laughs> it'd be something else. I've got but a whatever. friend. I've got a friend named Barnes. <laughs> no, yeah, we'll we'll be we'll be going through all sorts of troops uh, in the coming minutes. Um, but yeah, it's. I don't know. It's it's a great little setup for this character. And, you know, I just love the fact that we're finally with Steve in boot camp. He's finally in this place where he gets to actually be a soldier. And it's kind of yeah. it's it's a great setup that we have here. I love I love where we are still from an efficiency standpoint. You're only at minute 20. I mean, yeah, move, right. the movie is moving pretty well, you know, because like you can say that the whole World's Fair Stark stuff is a bit of a dalliance where you could just take the kid from Brooklyn and you could have sped to this in 12 minutes, but they stretched it out to 20 and it works. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing. We never get tired of it. We were talking about that when he was in the alley fight. Like, really, you learn everything you need to know about Steve Rogers when he's defending the theater scene and then fighting in the I could do this all well, day. Help me out here. How long is this movie entirely in total? 125 minutes. 
See, and then I, per, I, I can only imagine that Winter Soldier and Civil War are longer. They just get longer and longer. <laughs> and see, that to me is, we asked this last minute and turned into the can of worms that we did, but I, that's why I like Joe Johnson. Joe Johnson, to me, shrewder and quicker with visual storytelling and quick storytelling versus the Russos, which have to blow everything up. So I, one more chance for me to root for Joe. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll take it. Joe's Joe's great. Uh, he does a great job here. Uh, this is Camp Lehigh. Supposed to be in, um, I believe Camp Lehigh is supposed to be in New Jersey. Is that correct? Yes. I believe so. Um, it's in New Jersey. Yep. They they filmed this in uh, in the UK. Georgia. Of course, they were. Oh, they were they, this okay. whole movie was shot over in the UK uh, to get kind of that European feel, since so much of it takes place. You. Um, uh, you know, as they're chasing the Nazis. Um, there was one sequence of this actually filmed in California. I'm guessing it was going to be uh, something that they had to, you know, do in retakes. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, this was all in, I, I, I guess it's slough. Is that how you say it over in the UK? S-L-O-U-G-H? Slough. Slough? 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 Like that Slough horses, right? Slough I listen to a band uh, called Slough Feg. And uh, that's how they spell it. So slow. kiss your mother with that mouth. All righty. All right. Well, there it is, folks. <laughs> yeah. Any last thoughts about uh, the setup here? Uh, well, and, and for the two of you, I mean, you're not going to get to kind of talk about the rest of this, but why don't you just, uh, you know, wait, share? Wait, we're, we're not. We're not why trapped not? here for why another not? seven hours. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Pete, did you not tell them? Oh God! Oh, no. crap. I'm just trying to uh, stretch this out because I'll never be invited back again. Ever. <laughs> Not kidding. Uh, <laughs> so, but but last thoughts on on this movie and kind of you know your your thoughts on on you know we're going into this uh, this military setup here with with Steve. There's going to be a grenade scene, and of course he becomes uh, he'll become the hero that we all know him mm-hmm. to be. Last thoughts from the two of you on Captain America and this film. Uh, for me, um, I'm a fan of a square jawed, true blue hero as a as a Midwestern guy. Where I know he's the Brooklyn guy, but like, yeah, I I said it in the last minute and show. Um, this is my number one favorite MCU film. You know, a personal favorite. Where I know the flaws are there, I know the hackiness is there in a little bit, and I know the character's gone on to different, bigger, and better things since. But this is just a super charming, amazing movie. I, I. I uh, yeah w- can't wait for like when my kids can get to this one you know i know it, we're still killing people in rotor blades later in the movie but like it's just still a movie you can put in front of a you know the four quadrant audience will like to talk about and find excessive charm it's just so good i adore it i love it more and more the more i watch it and uh you know i was worried when we were, we were approached to do this i forgot that there's no there really is no boring minutes in this but you know sometimes when you do a minute by minute you're gonna think Oh, what if I don't get this? But like, it was amazing. It just, just by chance, just minutes 16 through 20, there was one of my favorite, you know, things. And I, and just thinking ahead, like you're talking about now that we're in the military setting, I'm like, oh yeah, there's the grenade scene. There's the uh, montage scene of him training. There's the flag scene. Like I think of all these amazing things. It's like when you watch the movie and you're just like, when you're, when you know what's going to happen, but you're looking forward to it, that's, mm-hmm. that's a sign of a good movie. Cause like every time I watch this, I'm just like, oh, I can't wait to, like when I was showing my dad, I was like, oh, I can't wait for him to see this scene and this scene and this scene and this. Scene. Like it's it's uh it's a good one. It's a good one. And uh I I assume it'll continue to get better and better as time goes on. 
switching gears to uh, just Captain America in general, what are your favorite Captain America moments or your specific? Do you have a favorite specific Captain America moment, whether it's in one of the films or comics or maybe Captain America 1979? What would that moment be? All the movies? All the stuff? Anything, yeah. Anything Captain America. (sighs) That's really hard, man. I mean, there's so many great moments in the MCU. However... If you want to, if we're going to talk about a narrative point that encapsulates the character, and this is only something you could do later by building the character up, is uh, in Infinity War when uh, Thanos is like just going through Wakanda and he's just wiping everybody out. He's sticking like Mark Ruffalo in a rock and he's capturing Scarlett Johansson in trees and like you know, just killing everybody and. Um, what what did you call it? Thanos puts his hand down to crush him. He's holding the hand, holding the one gauntlet with both hands and screaming. And you get that moment from Thanos where he looks like, Holy crap. Like this guy actually like might get me for a second. And of course, you know, because it's the narrative, like he has to be defeated, but that, that moment to me always gives me goosebumps. Like, because it, it encapsulates everything we know about cap, like, He's not going to give up no matter, no matter the circumstance, you know, he's got the little bit of that extra energy and strength than that other, the, the, the average person. Cause he lasts a couple seconds longer against this impenetrable force. But yeah, every time I see that, I just get goosebumps. The hair on my neck raises. Cause I'm just like, Oh man, what a moment. What a moment. Yeah. Mine would be uh old cap in the bench talking to Sam. You know, uh, because the same thing, like hairs in the back, like, um, how, how rare is it to me, especially with these movies where, um, any comic series that's of films, like it's so rare to get to see a hero get to run off in the sunset or to have their sunset. And we get this cap who shows up just to, just to make ends meet in terms of timelines and things and to pass that shield to Sam, but also to see the man who had seen it all lived that whole life and got, got the sunset. We see other characters maybe hint at, maybe get like Tony, Tony dies 15 minutes, 20 minutes before this. Um, we have all these characters that we know are going to go on in other timelines and places and be recast 15 years from now. And where the story always goes on, but like how rare do we ever get to see the last phase of one of these heroes as a man? And to see that and like you hear the little production parts where like his parents saw that scene and they're like, you look just like your grandpa in that scene. Like Mm. just the the personal feels that have to go into that. The where do you take that character to that place and and to do it? And same thing, economy of words to say it as simply as no, I don't think it will. And all the little moments that make Chris nail that scene. And yeah, I, I admire that because legacy we talk about legacy with these characters so much but that legacy is always formed in such a present fashion but to what what would that legacy look like all the way to the end and that's that i can't name another moment of that like we'll never get christopher reeve playing an older superman we'll never we might get michael keaton if if warner brothers doesn't screw up flashpoint play an end of life batman and like we don't we don't like in the what if sense that Will's talked about in other shows and episodes here, like what, what would it look like to see it all the way played out? Normally we never get it or the comics keep them young. They never age. 
you know, but yeah. here we get one where he does. And it's just a powerful moment for me. Well, Oof, because, because, because you mentioned Sam, who's my, yeah. cause I'm a, cause I'm an Ant-Man Hawkeye Falcon guy. Mm-hmm. Um, that, those are my three favorite characters. Um, I have to say, even though it's not cap cap is not speaking dialogue or doing anything on your left. Yeah. To be mm-hmm. yep. really close up there too, because I remember being in the theater and just my mind just melting with like cap on your left. And I was just Ooh. like, ah! like, it's just like <laughs> I couldn't believe, I mean, the theater went ballistic. It was great. Good stuff. So that's that, that's yeah. a second place. Second place for me. I love it. I love it. Oof. Well, gents, it has been a week of amazing and wild conversations. <laughs> we've gone <laughs> the cut from one spectrum the to the other. <laughs> yeah, we've covered the gamut for sure. Uh, it's been a thrill. Thank you so much uh, for joining us Thank on the you. show all man. week. Uh, remind everybody one last time where they can find you, learn more about your show, and what you two do. No, no. no. Get him, Pete. Get him, Pete. <laughs> you must tell us where you can be found. Oh, God. Am I really doing this? You're really doing this. It's you know what? It's when you bring that sense of regret to your, to your plugs. <laughs> That's what really makes them shine. No, like, to, that to makes par- that brings the people to the show, man. Let me to paraphrase you. to paraphrase Hulk. I always have regret. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, um, all right, fine. Cinephile hissy fit is a 25YL Ruminations Radio Network podcast that you can find on Spotify and Apple and Stitcher and Podbean and uh, your mother's attic. I don't know, whatever. And um, (laughs) we're also on the socials. We're on Elon Musk Twitter. We're on (laughs) uh, data from Star Trek The Next Generation's Facebook slash Meta. We are on China's Instagram. I don't know. We're huge in China. Yeah, we're not uh, uh we're not on TikTok, thank Christ. And uh um, <laughs> yet. And we're not on Snapchat. Yeah. Uh, no, never. Uh I don't want that one either. Yeah. Only fans a, though, potential. Only, only fans. fans. We're on. Hissy we're feet. on uh, con, con, con hissy feet. Contact me <laughs> directly for the uh-huh. info on that one. His DMs are so slippery. Slide right in. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Just need those Lulu lemon leggings. I know. That's that's it, guys. Wow. <laughs> well done. Well done. <laughs> Tip of the hat. Woo. Um, all right. Well, all of that will be in the show notes. As always, everybody all you can uh, all all of that will be in the show notes. Uh, as always, you can learn more about our show at truestory.fm slash Marvel Movie Minute. You can find our socials, our Discord, uh, information about the membership, about our merch, all of that good stuff. Uh, so it's been a wonderful week. Pete, as always, thank you so much. Don't look up, Ant-Man. <laughs> Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show.